Well, good morning again, church, and welcome again to those of you that are worshiping with us online. Um, I hope that you know and are fully aware of how much God loves you, and I hope that you leave here, if you don't know that, I hope that you leave here today knowing just how much God loves you. He's madly in love with you. I've been listening to a song, or I listened to a song on, the, on um, my Spotify, and it's this, this one line has been just kind of bouncing around in my heart, and it's one line from this song, and it says, there's no place that God's love won't go. Isn't that so good? There's no place. I got like an amen at the early service. There's no place that God's love won't go. Amen. amen. That is such good news. Hey, can we give our worship team just a hand for leading us in worship? They do such a good job, and, and I, love, um, I love all of our drummers, uh, don't get me wrong, but Jake is like, to me, reminds me of Animal. Uh, just every time I'm watching him behind the drums, I'm just like, there's Animal. Like, just going at it, and just with all of his heart, I think he even broke the drum set today, I don't know, but man, it's just, I love his passion, his desire, and um, I love all of our team up here, and, and I'm so grateful that they lead us in worship. And so, uh, so we've been diving into the book of Mark. And we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we've been, for the past five weeks, and it's hard to believe that we're already in week five of this journey uh, through Mark's um, account of Jesus. And we've been looking at uh, the lessons and events, these, these, some of these lessons and events that take place in the book of Mark. And, uh, and, and so far, um, we've discovered, like, we've, we've traveled a lot, and we've, we've covered a lot of ground. We've seen um, just uh, that Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors, right, because there's no place that God's love won't go. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. We, we discovered that he did some miraculous, amazing miracles, and we've seen some of those miracles. Um, we've seen Jesus even get rejected by his own family, and some of us know what that feels like to be rejected because of our faith in Christ. We know what it feels like to be rejected by our own family. Uh, we've also seen him put, his, put the religious leaders in their place. We saw that last week and how he did that. And, uh, and today, we're going to see yet another side of Jesus, and we're going to discover that Jesus really cares about you and that you can trust him. Like, I hope that if you're here today and you're just checking out Jesus and you're like, I'm not sure about this whole church thing. I'm not sure about this religion thing. Well, I'm not sure about religion either, but I am sure about this, that there's no place that God's love won't go. And that's one thing that I know that I can count on, that God loves me and he's madly in love with me. And I hope that you will leave here today knowing that God loves you, that he's madly in love with you and that you can count on him and you can trust him because he cares about you. You see, throughout the Bible, uh, as we look at the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God is always telling us, always telling us, and always showing us how much he loves and cares for us. But the problem is, is that many of us struggle with believing that God could actually care about us. I mean, it's easy for us to believe that God could care about someone else, right? Like, it's easy for us to believe that, but it's hard for us to believe that God could actually care about us. Because why? Because we know ourselves, right? Like we know ourselves backwards and forwards and inside and out. We know the sin that we struggle with. We know how selfish we are. We know about our own personal demons and rebellion and doubts towards God. We know us. And so it's hard for us to believe that God could actually care and have compassion on us. And because we struggle with this idea about believing that God really cares about us, he has to 
show us and tell us over and over and over again how much he cares about us. But here's the cool thing about God. Here's the thing that I love about God is this, that he never tires of expressing his love towards us. God never gets tired about telling us about how much he loves us. He never gets exhausted about sharing his compassion with us and expressing his love towards us. And here's the cool thing. There's no place that God's love won't go. So I want us to jump in today, today's scripture. It's found in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to read the first 10 verses together. And we're going to see yet another expression of the many expressions of God's love in his word. We're going to see yet another expression of God's compassion and his care for people. And so starting in verse 1, here's how Mark begins. He says, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Now, another large crowd, you got to remember that Jesus, just a few chapters before, just a few weeks before, he fed the 5,000, right? Like a big crowd gathered on the hillside, and he fed the 5,000. Well, here, Mark says, during those days, another large crowd gathered. So a different crowd has gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Now, if you have your Bibles, or maybe you got your Bible, uh, your version Bible app, I would underline or highlight that phrase, that phrase right there in verse two, I have compassion for these people, because that's going to be really important later on. I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, another fine moment by the disciples in verse four, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate, and they were satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. Satisfied. That's going to be real important later too, so hang on. Satisfied. They were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present, and after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with the disciples and went to the region of Dalmatian. No, it's not Dalmatian, but it's that word right there, Dalmanuthua. So uh, something like that. Uh, we'll just say Dalmatian. And so, um, so here we see that, and if you've been following along with the daily readings, which by the way, you can get another copy of this week's daily readings right out there on the counter, pick it up on your way out. Uh, if you've been following along with the daily readings, you'll remember uh, last week that Jesus did the same exact miracle in Mark chapter 6. The first time Jesus did this miracle was primarily to a different crowd. It was to a Jewish community. Like when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was in a region that was predominantly Jewish, the people of Israel, God's people. And so God was doing ministry and preaching and teaching to, to the Israelites and to the, to the Jewish folk. And, uh, and so he did that miracle predominantly to Jewish community. 
But this time, Jesus, another, it says, Mark says, another crowd of people have gathered, and that other crowd of people were now a Gentile community. It was largely Gentile people, people that were not Jewish. And and so that's important, and that's key to remember, because by doing this, Jesus was making a point. And he's making a big point, and the point is this, that God's compassion and love is for who? Everyone. No matter who you were or where you came from, God's love and compassion was for you because God's love can go anywhere. And now, as we unpack this miracle, we find that there's really three important ideas about Jesus and his compassion. There's probably more, and there's probably different lessons we could learn, but I want us to focus in on the compassion that Jesus had and and the idea of compassion and how it connects to us. And so the first idea that I want you to understand here is this, that compassion hurts. Compassion hurts, that true compassion towards someone else goes deep, that it moves us, that compassion changes us from the inside out, that it's not just this, uh, it's not just this one and done thing, but that compassion changes who we are. And in verse 1, Mark tells us that during those days, another large crowd had gathered. And, and so Jesus is in the area of Sidon, S-I-D-O-N, and uh, in this area, which is mostly, like I said, made up of Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, and, uh, and, and which means that the majority of the people in this area, these Gentiles, were raised up in a culture of worshiping many gods, like they didn't just worship the one God. So in Jewish community, you worship one God, the one true God, and his name was Yahweh, right? And you had a one God. That's who you worship. But the Gentile community, they had many gods and goddesses that they worshiped. And so if you were to go into a Gentile city or town, you would find a variety of temples that were made for a variety of God and goddesses. And if you were to go into a Gentile home, it wouldn't be unlike for you to find a, a ton of little statues of gods and goddesses that they worshiped and prayed to. Like they may have a little altar area set up and they may have a bunch of little different gods and goddesses. And they would pray to specific god and goddesses based on what their needs were. And so, uh, and so, so this is the community that Jesus has gathered around and is preaching and teaching and sharing miracles with. And as this large crowd gathers, guess what? They're aware of Jesus. They've heard that Jesus has been going around, that he has been teaching these crazy ideas, and that he's been doing these miraculous miracles. And so they show up, he's been casting out demons, and they've heard all of it. And so they've come for the show. Like they've gathered around for the show. They're on the hillside, and they're like, hey, I hear Jesus in town. Let's go. Let's go see what he's going to do. What's he going to do today, right? Like what rabbit's he going to pull out of the hat today? And so they're there for the show, and they gather around. And just like back in Mark 6... Mark tells us that the crowd ran out of food, right? They ran out of food, and what does Jesus do? He does the same thing. He calls the disciples to himself. He's like, guys, bring it in, bring it in. They have like this little holy huddle. There's lots of people on the crowd. They say there's 4,000 men and all their families. And so he grabs the disciples. He grabs them in for this little holy huddle. And And I want you to know this, that every time in scriptures that Jesus calls the disciples to himself, that he is about to do something significant, and it usually involves their help. And so here he is. He's got the holy huddle going on. They may be like a huddle like on a football team. And they're gathered around. And Jesus is like, okay, guys, we got all these people. We got to feed them. What are we going to feed them? And, and, and he's going to include them in this really important moment. 
And, and this is a basic principle in God's word, that a, a word, uh, this calling and sending, that when, when Jesus calls you to something, he involves you in it. Like he, he uses you. If he calls you, he'll use you. And so after calling the disciples to himself, he says in verse two, he says these words, and these are really important words. He says, I have compassion for these people. Some translations say, I feel sorry for these people. And this is the only time in scriptures where Jesus himself says, I have compassion for these people. Like there are other times in the Bible where it mentions that Jesus had compassion on them and the gospel writers will say Jesus had compassion on them, but this is the only time in scripture where Jesus actually says the words, I have compassion for these. And this phrase, I have compassion, uh, it's hard. We, we, if I asked everybody to define compassion, you'd give me a lot of different answers. And, 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 and this compassion, it refers to a compassion. It's a deep compassion that, that results in hurt or pain. That it literally means to see someone suffering or see someone struggling and to feel a physical response to their pain in your stomach. That if you see someone physically struggling and in pain, it creates a pain in you, a physical pain that you can't, uh, you can't even address. And you're like, man, I feel this gut-wrenching pain in my stomach for these people. That your compassion is so strong for them that you actually feel sick to your stomach. And Jesus used that word to describe and say, I have compassion for these. It's not just an emotional reaction. Jesus wasn't just being emotional. He doesn't just see them and have this emotional response, but it's a physical one as well. Jesus was physically sick as he sees and has compassion on them. And the truth is that some people, some people see others suffering and they could care less. Some people see people suffering and they walk right by. And, and we see this even with the disciples earlier in the book of Mark. When they tell uh, the mother of a demon-possessed uh, little girl to get lost, like this mother is begging them to, to, uh, to exercise this demon out of their, her little girl, and she keeps begging them and begging them. And they tell Jesus, they're like, Jesus, would you please tell her to go away because she's bothering us with all her begging. And they had zero compassion for this mom. But the good news for us, and the good news is this, is that even though some people may not have compassion towards others, God always is always compassionate. God is always compassionate. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. He always feels compassion for us when we experience pain or suffering. Now, the evil one, the evil one has no love for you when you are suffering. As a matter of fact, the evil one will take your suffering and your pain and will do whatever he can to multiply it. Like when you are suffering or when you're, when you're in pain, the evil one's going to whisper in your ear and remind you of how bad you are. He has no love for you. But God, God always, always is compassionate towards us when we are experiencing pain or suffering. Isaiah 49, 13 reminds us, it says these words, it says, but you, O Lord, are a God of what? Compassion and mercy. You're slow to get angry and you're filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So God is always compassionate. 
And now remember the crowd. Remember, the crowd is filled with people who worship many gods. They, they, they worship many pagan gods and goddesses. And they came for the show. That's why they showed up. They're there for the show. They're there to see some of these miraculous miracles. They're there to hear what Jesus said. They're there for the show. But many of them, many of them stay for what Jesus teaches. And many of their lives are transformed on that hillside. And many of them decide to follow Jesus. And I want you to think about it. If Jesus had compassion on that crowd, if Jesus had compassion for these people who were worshiping any and every god or goddess that was ever uh, created or existed, maybe he could have compassion for you. Like maybe your past doesn't have to define you, but maybe God's compassion can define who you are. Or maybe his compassion is for all kinds of people with all kinds of sin and all kinds of suffering because his love is too great to be limited to what we deserve. You see, there's no place that God's love won't go. Jesus goes on in verse two and he says these words. He says, they've already been with me three days. He says, I have compassion on these people. My, my gut is wrenching and my stomach is sick over the compassion that I have for these people. And he says, they've already been with me for three days. And, and some translations say that, that they, they remained with Jesus. They chose to stay on the hillside with Jesus for three days. And listen, it's no longer about the show for them. Like it was all about the show when they showed up, but now it's not about the show. They're leaning in to what Jesus was doing. They're leaning in to what Jesus is teaching. They can't stop listening to what Jesus has to say. And Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. Those people on the hillside, they didn't ask for his compassion. They didn't have to buy a ticket to receive his compassion. They didn't have to do anything to earn it. The only reason they received the compassion of Jesus was because they stayed close to him. They remained there. They were in the presence of God. And I think, isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that amazing that they didn't give him anything? That they didn't have to exchange anything for God's compassion. They didn't have to perform for it. All they had to do was remain in the presence of God and listen and receive what he had to say. And I thought about that, and I thought, how often do we miss experiencing the compassion and the power of God because we move away from God? Or how often do we miss the power and the compassion of God because we feel like we have to do something to earn it? Or how often do we miss the power and the compassion of God because we feel like we're not good enough for it? Listen, to experience who God is, all you have to do is remain in him. Stay close to him. And Jesus goes on in verse 2 and he says, they've already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. And I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered like, well, why, why didn't the people bring more food, right? Like if they knew they were going to come and hang out with Jesus, why didn't they bring food with them? I mean, if they knew they were going out into the wilderness and they knew that there was not uh, any place to get food around, why didn't they bring enough food? But here's what I can promise you. As you read and you read in between the lines of what's going on here, they weren't planning on staying three days. 
Like, they came for the show. They were coming for the evening. They were coming just for the day. They may have brought lunch with them, or they may have brought a bag, a paper bag dinner with them, but they weren't planning on staying there for three days. They were just planning on coming, hearing a few words from Jesus, maybe seeing a miracle or two, and then heading back to the house. They didn't plan to be there for three days. And when they ran out of food, you wonder, well, why didn't they just get up and go home? Like when they got hungry and they realized, you know what? We don't have enough food. Why didn't they just get up and go home? Well, here's why. I think they were so caught up in the preaching and the power of Jesus and the presence and being in the presence of God that they didn't want to leave. That their lives were being transformed in such a way that they would rather stay with Jesus and miss a meal than leave and miss a miracle. They made a choice to stay three days without food because the spiritual food they were getting from Jesus was way more filling than any physical food they could get at home. And you heard stories of this even in Asbury University. You would hear how people would just go, I'm just going to go and spend an hour. And they would sit down in that auditorium and they would, they would begin to experience the presence of God. And story after story, people would say, I couldn't get up. Like, I couldn't leave. I didn't want to leave the presence of God. It was so heavy and thick. It was like it was laying down on me. The same thing was happening on that hillside. People were experiencing the presence of God in such a way that they were like, I don't care about food right now. I can't wait to see what Jesus does next. I can't wait to hear what he says next. I can't wait to see the transformation happen in my life. And then in verse 3, Jesus makes a very practical statement. And this is important, like you'll blow by it if you miss it, but it says, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. You see, here's what I love about that statement is Jesus knew the depth of their hunger. And I want you to hear this, that Jesus knows the depth of your hunger. He knows the depth of your hunger. He sees you and he knows about your suffering and he cares about you and he's not going to send you home hungry today. If you will position yourselves in such a way to receive all that God has for you, you're not going to leave here hungry. You're going to leave here full and satisfied because there's no place that God's love won't go. So compassion it hurts. It hurts. But number two, compassion also helps. Not only does it hurt, but it helps. Compassion doesn't sit by idly and do nothing. Like you don't see someone who's in pain and struggling and just sit back and go, ah, someone else will do it. That's not compassion. Compassion leads you to moving and doing something about it. It always leads to action. In verse four, the disciples tell Jesus, they're like, but where in the world in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? They're like, Jesus, where are we going to get the food? I mean, the disciples are stating the obvious. They knew they were in the wilderness. They knew that Jesus knew that there was no food around. There was no options. There was no Billy Ray's. There was no Subway. There was no El Rodeo. There was no DoorDash that was going to deliver food out to the wilderness. And to me, it seems like a really dumb question for the disciples to ask. Like when I read that, I'm like, don't they get it? Like I want to pull my hair out. Like don't the disciples get it? I mean, not long ago, Jesus did a very similar miracle where he fed 5,000 men and their families and were fed from a boy's lunch of two fish and five loaves. Like 
didn't they understand? I mean, why didn't they just ask Jesus to do another Happy Meal miracle, right? Like Jesus had the little boy with the little Happy Meal lunch. Why didn't they just say, Jesus, can you do it again? Like, remember what you did a few weeks ago? Can you just do that again? But that's not what they did. They asked the question, where are we going to get food for all these people? Now, maybe, maybe it was a rhetorical question. Like maybe they knew the answer and they're just kind of like passing the ball off to Jesus meaning they understand that Jesus could do it. Like, Jesus, where are we going to get the food? Like, nudging him, like, do the Happy Meal thing. But they didn't do that. Or maybe, maybe it was a more of a revealing question. Like, maybe they knew that he could do it for the Jewish community, but they, were sh- they weren't sure that he could do it for the Gentile community. Like, because maybe they thought that the Gentiles weren't worthy of such a miracle, meaning that they still had a lot to learn, if that's the reason they asked the question. And they still had some faith that needed to grow. Or maybe, maybe it's just this. Maybe the disciples are just tired. And maybe they've been doing a lot of ministry with Jesus. Maybe they just plain forgot. Like, I don't know how you forget feeding 5,000 and and families. But maybe they just forgot. And maybe they just ask him, like, where are we going to get the food? Because they don't remember. And if that's the case, it makes me even want to scream louder. Come on, guys. Like, don't you remember? Just ask him to perform another miracle. And and maybe, though, maybe we're a lot like the disciples. Like, maybe we're a lot like them. Like, Jesus answered a prayer for us a few months ago. Maybe we've been praying about something. Jesus answered that prayer, and he took care of us, and he's taking care of us time and time again in our lives. And then we, we flip the page of our life to a new page, and we find ourselves in another crisis, and, and we find ourselves saying, what am I going to do? And we try and fix it ourselves, and we never ask God to do anything about it, and we forget that God has been faithful in the past, and if he's been faithful in the past, why wouldn't he be faithful in the present? And the disciples ask the question, how are we supposed to get enough food to feed all of these people in the wilderness? And we ask ourselves, how am I supposed to find enough money to pay this medical bill? Or how, am I, how are we going to get through this moment where our child has left and become rebellious and, and he may never come back? Or we ask the question, how am I going to repair this relationship that is broken? How am I going to do it? We ask similar questions. How about asking Jesus for help? Like, how about remembering that he's helped us in the past, so why wouldn't he help us in the present? I think one of the biggest weaknesses that us as Jesus followers struggle with is the weakness of forgetfulness. Like, we forget who God is, and we forget what God has done in our past, Listen, if we have any hope of following Jesus well, we must remember who he is and what he's done. Like we have to remember who Jesus is, the son of the living God. He's big, he's audacious, he's massive, he's almighty, he's great, he's magnificent, he's unfailing, he's all of these things and so much more. We have to remember who he is and what he's done in our lives. So often we forget that he's been faithful in the past, so why wouldn't he be faithful now? And how does Jesus respond to the disciples? In verse 5, he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Remember, he's in the holy huddle. He's talking to the 12, and he's looking at them and says, well, how many loaves do you have? Because Jesus knew. He knew that they didn't have enough food to feed everyone, so he just says to them, he says, hey, you know what? Let's start with your lunch. 
Let's start by you giving up your lunch. I want you to give up your food and meet their needs. And so in the feeding of the 5,000, it was a little boy that sacrificed his lunch of, of, of two fishes and five loaves. But this time, Jesus wants the disciples to give up their own lunches. And they need to trust that Jesus is going to multiply their lunches. And so the disciples knew they didn't have much. They even said, we've got, we got seven loaves of bread. Now, you might be thinking seven loaves of bread is like the loaf of bread that you find at Food City. Like, that's a pretty big loaf of bread. Uh-uh. That wasn't what a loaf of bread was back then. The loaf of bread back then was a piece of flat bread that was about the size of a pancake. And they had seven pancakes to feed 4,000 people. And so they're like, well, Jesus, here we got. We got seven loaves of bread. We got seven pieces of flat bread right here for you. That's what we got. That's all we got. We don't have anything else. And yet Jesus called the disciples to give up what they had, even though it wasn't near enough. In addition to the bread, it says that they found a few fish, right? And again, you might be thinking like big wide mouth bass. You might be thinking big fish. No, the fish that people carried around those days were dried sardines. Not even the ones in the little can, right, that you, you, t- you, you tend to take the foil back. Not even that. It was, it was dried little pieces of chicken nu- or fish nuggets. That's what it was. It was fish nuggets. And just like Jesus called on the disciples to feed, he calls on us to have compassion towards others and to offer whatever we have, whatever you have, to meet the needs of others. You see, here's the thing we need to understand, that we offer it and Jesus multiplies it. It's going to be up there. Yay! We offer it and Jesus multiplies it. You may think in your little, uh, that your little bit won't make a difference, but that's not true. Your little bit makes a huge difference because in the hands of Jesus, anything is possible. Our job, our responsibility is to give what we have to bless others. The Lord's job is to multiply it to meet the need. Think about that. We've been doing this at Warehouse Church for nine years. We don't have huge bank accounts. We trust that what God gives us, that he's going to multiply it to meet the needs of the people in Floyd County and beyond. And guess what? For nine years, Jesus has done exactly that. If we are faithful with the little, he takes it and multiplies it and makes it happen to meet the needs. You give it, and Jesus multiplies it. Listen, compassion hurts, and compassion helps, but here's the most important thing, is compassion also satisfies. Compassion satisfies. There is something about compassion that brings relief and hope and comfort, and as a result of Jesus' compassion, Mark tells us in verse 8, he says this, the people ate and they were what? Say it with me. Satisfied. Say it. Say it out loud. They were satisfied that the 4,000 men and all of their families that were on the hillside, they ate and they were satisfied. In other words, it's like a dinner after pig in the poke. You're like, man, that was good. I'm full. And some of you like got the bellies to do it like me. Others of you have like abs. I haven't had abs in years. Others of you, you're like, man, I am full. I am satisfied. And that's what all those families were saying on the hillside. They had their fill. They were stuffed. They got all that they needed. And verse 8 says, Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And now, that word basket, again, 
in the New Testament, man, you got to like dive in. The word basket in the Greek is different from the word basket in the Greek that was used in the first miracle. So in in the feeding of the 5,000, there were only a few leftovers, but it says there were 12 basketfuls. So you might be thinking, well, that's a lot, Rick. That's 12 basketfuls. But the Greek word for basket that was used in the feeding of the 5,000 meant a very small basket, like the size of a fanny pack. It was a small basket. So they had 12 small baskets of bread and fish left over, enough to feed the disciples for maybe the next day. But this one, the feeding of the 4,000, it says that there were seven baskets that were left. But you got to understand the Greek word for baskets in this one was a giant basket that a human being could sit in. It's the same basket that was used to lower one of the disciples down a wall. It was a huge laundry basket basket, and it was full. So they had seven baskets full of food left over. And, and, and so the disciples began, think about it, they began with seven little pancakes, not enough to even feed themselves. And Jesus took what little they had and he multiplied it and he fed the crowd. And not only did he feed the crowd, but he had enough left over where there were seven gigantic baskets full of food left over. And why? Why would he have so much food left over? I think it was not so that the disciples could hoard it and say, man, we can eat off of this for a month. But I think it was because so they could have compassion on others. And so when they left, they could give food to other people as they met them, people in need. You see, the miracle that Jesus does, it always meets a physical need, but they also point to a greater truth. And here's the greater truth. When Jesus provides, he always gives us more than we are expecting or deserve. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. I have in my own life. That any time that there's a miracle in my life, Jesus, when he provides, he always, always, always gives more than I expect or deserve. Like this, when, for example, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, we expect a cleaning of the slate. We expect Jesus to clean our sin slate. But Jesus does more than just clean our slates, doesn't he? He gives us, in the Bible it says, he gives us perfect righteousness. That we become pure and holy just like Jesus, that we're forgiven completely of our sins, that we are able to stand in the presence of God. We just asked for forgiveness, but he gave us more, so much more. When we ask Jesus for peace, we expect a relief, right? We expect to be relieved from our anxiety, our current anxiety, but Jesus does more than that. The Bible says that he gives a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and our minds, I just wanted relief for today, Lord, but he gives us a peace that we can't even fathom or understand. And then when we come to Jesus for spiritual strength, we, we like, we're just looking for a little pick-me-up, like drinking a monster or something. Just give me a little pick-me-up, Jesus. But Jesus does so much more than that. He doesn't just give us enough strength to make it through today. He gives us strength to make it through the week and the next week and the week after that. He gives us far more abundantly than we ask for or think about, or deserve. You see, whatever you need from Jesus, he always overprovides. He's fully, he fully satisfies, because that's what compassion does. It satisfies. When we come before the Lord, and he works in our lives, we're like those people on the hillside saying, man, that was good. I'm satisfied. I couldn't eat another bite. Like, I don't think I'm going to eat tomorrow or the next day. Like, I am so full. That's what Jesus does, is he satisfies us. So compassion, it hurts, but compassion also helps and it satisfies. And we see this firsthand 
as we watch Jesus feed these 4,000 families. But, the real, but this really points to a far greater and far better miracle that we find in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. You see, through Jesus' death on the cross, he became the bread of life for us. He satisfies our every need. As a matter of fact, in John's account of this story, so you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And <coughs> excuse me. In John's account of the story, he follows up and connects this miracle by Jesus telling the disciples these words. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, I am enough. I satisfy. Listen, church, the God who created the universe, hear me, the God who created the universe, the most powerful being ever, loves you personally, loves you by name. Just wrap your mind around that. God knows your name, but he doesn't just know your name. He loves the person behind your name. He loves you madly and crazy. I hope you hear that, that God loves you. He doesn't just love people in general, but he loves you as an individual. And he cares about your life, and he wants to be a part of your life. Even if you spent your entire life running from God, or if you've done things that, that you regret, he still loves you, and he still wants a relationship with you. Let me share these words with you from Psalm 36. Um, don't put it on the screen because it's a different version. I just want you to hear this. It says this. It says, Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Just picture that. God's love is as vast as the skies that you can see. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds, far into the galaxies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You see this, church? God's love. God's love is as vast as the farthest galaxy from here. And not only is God's love as vast, but guess what? There's no place that his love won't go. And you know what that means? That means that his love reaches into the bed of a hospital bed of a loved one, breathing their last breath. God's love reaches into the car of an addict who's getting one more fix. God's love reaches into the marriage that is struggling to survive. God's love reaches into the room of a teenager who's struggling with their identity. There's no place that God's love won't go. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would leave here knowing two things. Knowing that you are loved by God. That you are loved by God. And that there is no place that God's love can't reach. Or there's no place that God's love won't go. I hope you know that today. I hope you're aware of how much God loves you. 
And if you're here today and you've never experienced God's love before, maybe you came and you're like, I'm gonna check out this church thing, I'm gonna check out Jesus, I'm gonna check out this religion thing. First of all, I tell you, this isn't religion. This is a relationship. This is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can only tell you from my experience that my relationship with Jesus Christ completely transformed my life, changed me forever. And it can do the very same thing for you because God looks at you and he says, I love you. Even though you're far from me, I care about you. I love you. I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I want to give you so much. If you'll just open up your arms and open up your heart and receive me. So if that's you today and you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've been in church and you've had that relationship, but you've drifted far from God and you're like, man, I haven't experienced God's love in a long time. Maybe today is the day. Today is the day that you just simply say to Jesus, Jesus, I recognize that I'm far from you. I recognize that I am in need of you in my life. Would you come? I invite you to come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Have compassion on me. Forgive me of my sins. Give me that righteousness that Pastor was talking about. Show me the love that you have for me because today I surrender my life to you. That's all. Just surrender. Just tell him, Jesus, I love you. I surrender my life to you. I don't understand it all, but I know that I want you in my life. I'm one of those people on the hillside. I just came for the show today, but I'm leaving here with more than the show. I'm leaving here with a changed heart. And maybe you've been here today and maybe you're like, man, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I get the compassion that God has for me. Well, if you have that compassion, guess what? You are called to share that compassion with others. And maybe God's calling you out of your seat to share some compassion and some love with the people around you. Like maybe there are some people in your life that you think, man, God's never gonna come. God's never gonna move in their life. And you've been praying for that, uh, for that son or that daughter that is struggling with identity. You've been praying for that loved one who's getting older and they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they're getting close to that end of the age. Uh, maybe you've been thinking about that or maybe maybe there's someone in your life that uh, there's, a, there's a relationship that's broken and you're like, God, you'll never be able to fix it. I want you to remember that God's provided for you in so many ways. Why can't he do that? He can feed 4,000. He can feed 5,000. Why can't he move in the life of people around you? And maybe it's time for you to step up. Maybe it's time for you to get bold in your faith. Maybe it's time for you to say, hey, I need you to know that God loves you and he's crazy about you and so am I. So whatever it is today, I invite you to position yourselves in such a way as we sing this last song to receive exactly what God has for you. Because here's what I know, that if you will position yourself in such a way to receive it, you won't leave here empty. You won't leave here the same as when you came. You'll leave here different. You'll leave here transformed. But it starts with you opening yourself up to receive what God has for you. So church, will you stand with me? Just stand to your feet. Will you put your arms like this with me? This is just a position of receiving. God, I want to receive what you have for me today. So I'm going to ask you to keep your arms up as long as you can while we sing this, while we pray and as we sing. And you're just saying, God, I want to receive what it is. You might want to receive Jesus for the first time. You might want to come back to Jesus after being gone for a long time. You might want to ask God for some boldness to share compassion with people around you. That you have a little, but God's going to make it a lot. Whatever it is, you say, Jesus, I want what you have for me today. 
Father God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this message. God, we thank you that your compassion for us is never ending. That God, that there is uh, no place that you won't go. That there's no person that you won't love on. That there's no place that is far from you that you can't reach. Because God, you're a big God. You're a gigantic God. You're the one that created the universe. You are holy and almighty, and you yet you love us as individuals. You know every person by name, and we thank you for that, Lord. And God, we want to receive today what it is that you have for us. Because, Lord, I know with all of my heart that you have something for every single person in this room. God, it might be a word of encouragement. Father, it may be a broken heart. Father, it may be a surrendering. God, it may be a healing. Whatever it is, you have something for every person in this room. And so our arms are open wide, Lord. And we're positioning ourselves in such a way to receive it from you. So, Lord, would you come and would you fill us and would you feed us and would you give us exactly what it is that we need today? In your name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Keep your hands up. Let's start singing this song. Just worship and sing together. Let's do it.